How many of y'all ever had something happen to you you weren't expecting it at all? I mean, you were just totally caught unaware. You know, I, I, uh, I love to surf fish. I love to fish any kind of fish. You know, catfish, carp fish, brim fish, sardine fish, any kind of fish. I just love to do it. But, you know, I, I uh, learned one thing about surf fishing is when you're surf fishing, you got to watch your rod because if you don't, there are fish out there that can pull that thing out into the water before you know it. And, and the worst thing for a surf fisherman, any fisherman at all, is to spend two or $300 on a fishing rig and watch a fish pull it out in the ocean. That's not, that's not any fun. So if you're fishing, you got to be alert. you got to be ready. You know, it's the same with cooking. You know, um, one thing I've learned about cooking, if you put something on the stove, you got to be alert. you got to watch it. Because if you don't, you'll end up with a burnt sacrifice. And it won't taste good. And uh, so you, you really have to watch it. But, you know, I want to talk to you this morning about being alert for once something that's so far beyond fishing or hunting or anything else. And that's being ready. I, I, I've had this message brewing inside of me, and, and, and I've, I've been threatening to, to bring it. But um, how many of y'all watch the news? I mean, you, you pay attention to things that are going on. How many would have ever thought that in the United States of America that someone would have their head taken off because they refused to renounce their Christianity and become a Muslim? Or And this just happened this week in Oklahoma. These kind of things are becoming more and more prevalent in our world today, and, and it's just, you know, we can write it off and say, well, these little kind of incidences have always happened. No, they haven't. Not in the, um, not, not in the amount of, of, of occurrences that are, that are happening right now. There's so much going on in our world, and, and, and we have to be alert. We have to be aware of what's going on. Because if we don't, we'll be caught unaware. And we don't want to be caught Unaware, we want to be ready. I want to. I want to share some scripture with you, and um, you know, we all these biblical signs are leading up to the coming of the Lord, and they're everywhere. One of those signs is this: in Luke chapter seventeen, verses twenty-six through thirty-two, it says, "And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man." They were eating. They were drinking, they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day... Let no one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Why are we told to remember Lot's wife? She turned back. She looked back. She looked at what was behind her. Her heart was not what was in front of her. Her heart was what was behind her. She remembered all the things that she had while she was Lot's wife. You see, Lot... When Lot went to went to uh, 
went to Sodom, he went because he was so blessed because he was with Abraham and God was blessing Abraham and Lot so much they had to split up because everywhere they went, the land couldn't support all of their cattle and their sheep and their goats and everything else that they had. So it came to a point they were blessed so much, Lot says, we, we've got to split. So, so it says that Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked towards Sodom because of the plains there that were green and lush. And so he set his sights towards Sodom, and he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know, and and most of you know, I I won't assume that everybody knows, because there are some who don't. I remember one Sunday morning I I preached, and I mentioned something about uh, Noah, and I just kind of flippantly said, we all know about Noah. After the service, a young lady came up to me, she says, Pastor, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, who is Noah? She said, I've never heard about him. I don't know anything about Noah. So I can't assume that everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah either. But when Lot ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, the place was such an evil place. It was a place kind of like Corinth was in the New Testament where Paul had to, had to preach. And he sent a letter to Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and admonished them because of, uh, actually he rebuked them because they had a man living in the church that was, was having an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. And they were boasting about it. They thought it was a cool thing, which it wasn't, you know. And he rebuked them for it and told them what to do. But Sodom was much worse than that. Sodom was a place where there was rampant homosexuality. And not only was homosexuality uh, accepted, it was approved. And it was blatant. And so God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, not just because of homosexuality, but because of their evil. But if you look back in, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, it was like it was in the days of Lot. There was all kinds of evil, of all kinds of things going on, but people had just basically tuned out. We'd be, they had become so numb to it that they were no longer shocked by anything. It just became acceptable, you know, whatever. And so that that kind of thinking entered into the hearts of men. And it says in uh, Genesis chapter 6, it says this. In Genesis 6 and 5, it says, In Noah's day there was so much evil, it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was so great on the earth that every intent of man's heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And he said in Genesis 6, 3, just a few verses before that, he said, My spirit will not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. Now, God wasn't saying that the life expectancy of man would be 120 years. That was spoken, and then 120 years later, the flood came. Because God immediately spoke to Noah and told Noah to build an ark. It took him 120 years. In a 120-year span, he preached about the coming flood. How many ended up on the ark? There were only seven of them. Lot, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And there were only seven of them that entered into the ark. The only seven of them that were saved. And so... Um, we, we see that story. And what was it like in the days of Noah? So they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and, and going about business as usual. That's what it's talking about. And in today's society, everybody's going about business as usual. 
There seems to be no urgency about the, the, the coming of the Lord. There seems to be kind of a numbing down of, 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 the, of expectancy of the Lord. It's kind of like we just kind of settle back and say, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's no big deal. You know, so uh, that's kind of the way that, that, that they had approached things concerning Noah and concerning Lot. You know, that God sent the angels to, to Lot to warn them about what was getting ready to happen. He said that, uh, he, said that they was getting ready, he was getting ready to rain fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. How did Lot react to that? He just kind of stayed there. So the angels had to literally come and take Lot by the hand and him and his family and lead them out of Sodom. And as they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, just before the fire and brimstone began to fall, Lot's wife looks back, and when she did, she, it says she turned into a pillar of salt. You see, when we go about business as usual and, and we just, we just kind of disregard the, the warnings and the things that are going on around us, God wants us to wake up. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to alert ourselves as to what is going on. It's kind of like when we put something on the stove and we're cooking it. We don't just put it on and go read the paper. We pay attention to what's going on. You know, you have to keep, keep working and keep stirring it if it's going to end up the way that you want it to. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord. See, we, uh, and, and Paul said, in, uh, and Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he said, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring you up, stirring up your, your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and that the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken of by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some who count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. So why is the Lord tarrying? Why does he give us opportunity? Because he wants us to be busy and alert, going about doing his business, not doing business as usual, but doing business unusually, telling other people about him, getting them ready, being alert, being aware. I mean, if you saw somebody standing in the middle of the street, say you were driving down the road, you see a three-year-old child standing in the middle of the street, are you casually, flippantly going to go on by? What are you going to do? You're going to stop. You're going to say, get out of the road. You're going to go after that child. You're going to get that child out of the road because you care, because you love. You don't want to see that child hurt. And in the same way, folks, we've got to sound the alarm. We've got to tell others about Jesus. 
I've been reading in the book of, of, of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was a prophet to the people of Israel, to the nation of Judah, and, and he, was, he, was, he was prophesying to them continually to repent, to return to God, because he saw the glory of God. He saw the goodness of the Lord. It touched his heart. It renewed his spirit. And so there was one point in Ezekiel 37 where God showed him in a vision a valley of dry bones. And he said the valley was exceedingly large and full of dry bones, and God said to him, prophesy to these bones. Speak life to them. You see, we are the life speakers. We're the ones that God has called to speak life to those around us. We've got it, folks. I want you to say it with me. I got it. I have eternal life. The Bible says, he that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son does not have life. Because you know, when we accept Jesus into our heart, we have a brand new life inside of us. And so that life makes us a life giver. We have the same desire. We have the same drive that our father has. We want to tell others about him. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I don't want to see my worst enemy go to hell. I don't want to see, you know, when, when, when Saddam Hussein was doing his thing, I was constantly praying for him that God was saving I was constantly praying for, for Osama bin Laden, that God would save him. You know, I didn't want to see him die. I didn't want to see him go to hell. You know, I, I don't know where he is. I have a good idea. It's not my call to make. But I did not want to see, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I, I, I have kind of an inclination of what it must be like because my wife prayed one night and she asked God to give her a vision of hell because she wanted to be more passionate about praying for people. And so I'm laying in the bed, sound asleep, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, fingernails dig into my back just, and this blood-curdling scream erupts in our bedroom. And Pastor Don about came unglued <laughs> because my wife was screaming. And the sights that she was seeing in her dream, the vision that God had given her of hell, caused her to react that way. And I'm thinking, man, if it caused her to react like that, I certainly don't want that. I don't want anybody else to have it. But what I'm saying to you folks is that we have to stir up our mind by way of remembrance. We have to continually keep this before us and remember that the word spoken of by the prophets and the commandment of our Lord about the coming of the Lord is real. It's true. It's happening. And it's, it's happening around us right now. And, and listen, the very same mindset that was prevalent in the days of Noah is the same today. It seems that so many people have abandoned their hope of Christ's return and they stopped looking. We just kind of settled in. It's kind of laying back, you know, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, no big deal. But the Bible tells us, be alert, be ready. I'm not advocating that we just got to go sit out in the field and keep our eyes glued on the sky like Jesus is going to come out and pluck us out of the middle of it. I'm saying that we are to work the fields. That we lift up our lives and look upon the harvest and look upon the fields. They're white in the harvest. And the Bible tells us to work while it is called today for night comes when no man can work. To be about our father's business. It says in, in Luke chapter, chapter 19 and verse 13, if you read about that story, it says that there was a man who, who had some servants and he gave them talents. And then he went away. 
And he says, occupy till I come. Work until I come. What is that signifying? What is that symbolizing? It's symbolizing our Lord. And he has given us things to work with. And he is saying, occupy. Work till I come. And that word occupy doesn't mean just to fill up a space. It means to be busy being about our father's business because he had given them talents. He had given them, had given them money with which to work with. And they took it. And what happened? There were three of them. And the first one, he took what he had been given to him and he doubled it. And the second one, likewise, he took what had, what had been given to him and he doubled it. And then the third one took what had been given to him and he did the religious thing. He buried it. He just dug a hole and buried it because he thought that when my master comes back, I know what kind of person he is. He reaps where he doesn't sow and, and you know, takes things that really don't belong to him or whatever, you know. And that's the way some of us feel about God. We feel about that way about giving, that the Lord wants to take something away from us when, in fact, he's given us something that we can put into his hands and watch it grow. And that's, that's exactly what he said. So when he came back, he said, I'm going to require an accounting of you. So while I'm away, here's what you do. You occupy till I come back. So what does it mean to occupy? It means to, it's a military term, which means to move forward aggressively. You know, to take something. You know, it's like when the United States went in and they occupied Iraq. They didn't just ask them, can we come in? They went in with force. The, heaven, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. We are to occupy till he comes. We are to be militant about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're just way too sweet. You know, we, we, we kind of like... Ask somebody if they want to get saved, like, you know, I got a deal for you, man. It's a slightly used salvation proposal. You know, it's a little outdated and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? It's still good. Would you be interested? It, it did something for me. But there's so much more to it than that. Got to be alert, be ready, be always constantly looking watching, observing what's going on around us. The word of God's clear. Jesus gave us signs to look for that he said would precede his coming again. Some of those signs, if you want to know what they are, go to Matthew 24. They're very clear. They asked Jesus what it was going to be like, you know, when, when the Son of Man was to return again. And he said there would be wars and rumors of war. There would be flood and famines and pestilences. You notice there are, there are viruses being identified that we never saw before. There's kind of pestilences and stuff. And, and all these things are happening. There are, there are floods and famines and, and, and places that are so unusual. I mean, how many would have ever dreamed that they would have had the kind of floods they're having in Southern California? And then they never had them up until this century. What's going on there? You know, and earthquakes and everything in, in unusual places. I never thought that we would have an earthquake in North Carolina until a couple of years ago. We did. No, though it wasn't much. It was a great earthquake. It lasted about 30 seconds and scared me. But nonetheless, it's kind of a warning sign, I think. But all these things are happening. All of these things are happening. And listen to what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 24. Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son, but the Father alone. And then he goes down in verse 42 and he says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, most of the thieves that I've ever observed never call ahead and say, we're coming to rob you. Has anybody ever had that? I mean, everybody, anybody ever had something stolen from you? Did anybody call you up and say, hey, I'm going to come take your stuff? Be ready? No, they came when you weren't expecting it. They came when you were not even aware that it was happening. And they stole from you. Well, see, God is not wanting to steal from us, but he's just, Jesus is wanting us to be ready to understand that he is coming in a moment, in a time when we don't think he's coming. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming an hour when you do not think he will. Mark 13, 32 says, But of that day or the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed and keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what do I say to you? Be on the alert. Now that word alert, there's the Greek word blepo. B-L-E-P-O. Everybody say blepo. It means watch, look at, observe, beware, pay attention. Pay attention. You see, we've all missed our opportunities and, and, and that have only presented themselves for a moment. I remember watching uh, one of the sports shows one time and these two guys are sitting up at a deer stand. They're being real quiet. And they're watching. And they, they see this, this sign out there. This deer is way off and they see it. And they're talking like this because they don't want to spook him. They're real careful. They've got their stuff on their face. So the deer can't see it. You know, they're, and they're waiting. And this deer is approaching, and then all of a sudden the deer just disappears. They think, where did he go? And so while they are trying to figure out where the deer is, they get distracted for just a moment because off to another side there, there's these two turkeys come walking along. And so. They get distracted from their target and they see these two turkeys and they start, hey, look, look, there's a hen, there's a tom over here and they're talking. And then one of them looks up and as he looks up, there's that big buck. But before they can react and turn and take a shot at him, the buck is startled and he takes off. They miss their opportunity just that fast. Just that quick. And it made me think, you know, that's the way it's going to be for some when the Lord returns. It's like we've been watching and waiting, but we've been kind of trying to time it so that we can be right with God when he comes. But until then, we're going to just do our thing. We're going to do as it was in the days of Noah. We're going to go about our business. And when the Lord comes because of his grace and mercy, we'll have time to get right with God. 
We'll have that moment, but then they miss it. Because the Bible says he's coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In the moment that we don't think he's coming. So, therefore, he says, be on the alert. Be ready, always. Every second of our lives, we're to live in that state of readiness. Every moment. It's a lifestyle that we live waiting on the Lord's return. It's not that we have to prime the pump and be ready for him because he might come today. I remember when I worked at Duke Power Company, there was, there was a group of men that got together, and somehow or another, these geniuses figured it out mathematically that on a particular day, that at 12 o'clock, because of all the Jewish symbolism and everything else, that at 12 o'clock that day, that the Lord was coming. I say they all decided that they would gather in one area so that when he came, they would all be ready. And so this group of people gathered and they waited. I went and ate with the steel riggers because I always talked to them about Jesus. But that day, 12 o'clock came and nothing happened. There were people who had bought into it and it discredited basically the gospel because to them, these people, they had full confidence in what they were saying, but it didn't happen. Now, Jesus explicitly said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Not the Son, not anybody else, not an angel in heaven, but the Father and the Father alone. So if anybody asks me when Jesus is coming in, I will say when the Father says to. That's when he's coming. But I do believe that the signs and the, of the times are such that everything is lined up prophetically. That's what Peter was saying. Pay attention to what the prophets said. Pay attention to what the apostles said because we are speaking what God is saying and no, no scripture is given by personal or private interpretation but holy men of God spoke as they were inspired of the Spirit. So God laid it upon these people's hearts to speak. In reading through Ezekiel, I can see some of the things that are, that are lining up that are taking place today. One of them involving Gog and Magog, which is Russia and Assyria, and, and several years ago, I thought that they can't be a player anymore because the Berlin Wall came down and Russia was basically, you know, it seemed like they were just taking a, a second or third place in the world powers. And I thought, how can Russia be a player now? But I knew that the prophecy said that they would. And I think a lot of people probably thought the same thing. Where's Russia in the scheme of, the, of things now? But now we see that once again, Russia is a major player. Assyria is a major player, just as the Bible said they would be. And do you realize, my wife and I were watching this, this uh, documentary the other day, and they were talking about how that the Euphrates River, the flow of the Euphrates River is beginning to diminish somewhat, which lines up with what it says, that, that the Lord dried up the Euphrates River so that the kings of the east could ascend descend upon Israel. So we see that all these prophetic things are happening and the world really isn't paying attention, but if we listen to what the prophet said, we understand that they are lining up, that the coming of the Lord is so close, it is so near, and we've got to be ready. That's my message to you today. Be alert, be ready. If you're not ready, get ready. If you're not totally ready, stay ready. Get ready, stay ready, because the Lord is coming in a moment when we think not. Don't be one of those who are caught unaware when the Lord comes back. Listen to what the Bible says here. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and I love this passage of Scripture. I use it a lot at funerals and those kind of things because it really speaks to people who are grieving and they're concerned about the loss of their loved ones. But Paul says, he says, concerning those which are asleep in Christ, brother, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those which are asleep, but the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then when we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So we know that when, when we die, that we go into the earth, but the, the time is coming when the Lord himself shall descend with a shout and with the, with the trump of God and the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we forever be with him. Now, that's good news, isn't it? And we know that it's going to happen. And you know that's the, that's the only two places in the Bible where this word is mentioned. It's the word harpazo, H-A-R-P. A-Z-O, harpazo. And it means rapture. It means catching away, snatching away. And so we know that we're going to be snatched away. So someone asked me the question the other day. They said, Pastor, I want to ask you a theological question. I was at the gym and this guy asked me, he says, what do you think about cremation? I said, what do you want to know? He said, is, is, is it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? I said, well, you know, the Bible is very silent about it, really. Traditionally, we have taken bodies and we bury them, we put them in a tomb and those kind of things. He said, but, but what does it mean then that, that when the Lord comes that, that we're going to come out of the ground? I said, well, it doesn't say we're coming out of the ground. It says when the Lord, he says, we were to dead and, and we which are dead shall arise. Arise from where? Wherever we are. There's some that are in the sea. There's some that have been burned up. I don't know. That's a theological question that the Bible is really silent about. But, but what does it mean for us? It just means that there will be a catching away. There will be a snatching away when our body will be rejoined with our spirit and we'll be, we'll, we'll be with the Lord forever. That's what it means. So with that thought in mind, Paul goes on to say in chapter 5, he says, Now I say to you, brothers... About times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come. How? How's it coming? Like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, here's, here's the message to us. But you, brothers, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. Now, this word alert is another Greek word. It's the word um, grigoreo, grigoreo, grigoreo. It means to be on guard, to keep watch. And it says also to be self-controlled. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And that word self-controlled means to be sober, to be sober, sober-minded, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So we are to be sober-minded. That's why, folks, that it's not good for us to numb ourselves down with narcotics. It's not good for us to drink until we're drunk. 
it's not good for us to do that because we are not in our right frame of mind. We are not being sober-minded and vigilant waiting on the Lord. That's when the enemy has an opportunity to enter in and, and, and do us harm because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, he says, casting your cares upon him for he cares for you for your adversary. The devil goes about how? Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what are we to do? It says... You, therefore, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And be sober-minded. Be sober-minded because when we are not, we open ourselves up and the enemy has opportunity to enter in, cause doubt, confusion, alarm, instability in our emotions, and do more harm than you can imagine and to begin to devour us spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and in every area of our lives. You see, we open up that opportunity for the enemy. I want to give you something today. It's kind of a a lesson in the Greek, but you may or may not know this. But the word for pharmacy is taken from the same word that witchcraft is taken from, pharmakia. In the Greek, the word witchcraft is pharmakia. And so when we take drugs and those kind of things, we are opening ourselves up for the enemy to come in to our thinking to cause us to become spiritually disjointed, emotionally disjointed, and disjointed in every way. But the Bible tells us to be sober and to be alert. We can't afford to allow the enemy to come in like a roaring lion and devour us. And so here are a few things that the Bible is clear that we should be doing as we wait upon the Lord, as we're looking for his appearing. Number one, look for him. Look for him. You know, I I used to love it when I would come home and my boys were little. They knew when daddy would be coming home. It was always an exciting time. So about that time, sometimes I'd drive up in the driveway and I would look and I'd see little faces in the window. They knew daddy was coming. And I loved that. I go over to my son's house now, and my, my son Justin, and, and all the grandbaby faces are up against the window because they're expecting somebody, see somebody, especially if they know we're coming. They're looking for us. And that's the way that we are to be concerning the coming of the Lord. We're to be looking for him always. It says in Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to who? To those who are waiting for him. To those who are waiting for him. So the next thing we're to do is to purify ourselves. Purify ourselves. Well, how do we purify ourselves? I thought you said that the blood of Jesus does that. It does, but you have to apply it. Water washes us clean, but it don't if you don't take a bath. You have to put yourself in it. Soap is a wonderful thing if you use it. You know, it cleanses, it purifies. But there's soap for the mind, there's soap for the spirit, and we have to use it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By giving heed to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, we have to apply it in order for it to work. If we don't, it doesn't work. Come on. Amen. 
Somebody said the word works when you work the word. It does. And there's one more important thing for us as believers that we need to do. We need to fight a good fight. You know, sometimes we just lay down and let the enemy do his thing. When we are called to stand up, stand in faith, resist him. You know, there's something about resistance. There's something about resistance that makes you stronger. You know, I go to the gym, I watch these guys work out, and these guys come in with these big old muscles and stuff, you know. And they don't get that way just by looking at the weights. <laughs> I see people come in, you know, they walk around looking. <laughs> they walk around for 10 minutes and they walk out. <laughs> A few days later, you see them back in there. But nothing ever changes. The same as they were when they came in because they don't apply what is there. They don't use it. And they don't resist. You see, it takes resistance in order to build muscle. And the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Because when we are tried, God is working something out inside of us. If we don't resist the enemy, he just runs over us. We just are a spiritual wimp. Then, then he gets the victory every time. But when we begin to stand up till we find out he's just, a, he's just a schoolyard bully. That's all he is. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And when we begin to use the authority that God has given us and stand on the power of his word, and we do one other thing, we draw near to God and he draws near to us, then the enemy flees from us. He runs from us. He runs. So we have to fight the good fight. The other thing is we've got to finish the race. Who gets the prize? The ones who start the race? The ones who finish. The ones who finish. So race to win and keep the faith. Feed your faith. Feed your faith. Keep it. Keep believing. Keep trusting God. If you've been believing God for something, don't give up. Some of us give up sometimes right on the brink of a miracle. Just when God is getting ready to do something, we give up. And don't give up in looking for the Lord, knowing that he's coming. God has promised he's faithful. He'll do it. And the other thing is, long for his appearing. Long for it. Don't just wait for it. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, filled with his love, waiting for Jesus. Something about walking this walk that we have, knowing that there is something at the end that's worth the fight. There is a reward for this, folks. And it's okay to believe God for that. It's okay to work for that. It's okay to believe that, that if we lay down our lives and we give our lives and if we lay up treasures in heaven that they're going to be waiting for us when we get there. That's part of the reward. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I don't want God to do much for me. I just, you know, I just, I'm just grateful and, you know, he saw me as a liar. We all want something, God to do something for us. Because he's, he loves us. We believe him. We trust him. And there is a crown of life awaiting for us if we're faithful. Paul said, you know, he says, I know my time has come. <laughs> I can just imagine Paul writing this letter to Timothy. 
Timothy, my dear son, my time's almost over. You know, I know what awaits me. I see him setting up the chopping block. I know that my time and my departure is very near. But I want you to understand something, dear Timothy. I've fought a good fight. (laughs) I've kept the faith. So therefore, there's laid up for me a crown of life. I got something waiting for me on the other side. Because I've been faithful. You see, folks, nobody else can gauge that with you and God but you and God. You know whether you've been found faithful. You know if you've occupied till he come. You know yourself. So the question I've got to ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Are you, are you persistently watching Looking for him. Unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. For it does not yet appear what we shall be. But this thing we do know. When he appears we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And he that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. We purify ourselves with a constant application of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John chapter uh, 1 verses 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the daily application of the blood of Jesus Christ into our lives. You know, I ask the Lord sometimes, Lord, search my heart and and reveal to me if there's something that I need to confess before you. I want to be right with you. I want my my life to be holy in your sight, Lord. And the other thing is that, that when we do that, then we take the Word of God and we begin to read the Word of God because the Word of God is what? It is a light to our path. A lamp unto our feet. It's also the word of God. The Bible says that the, that the word of God is perfect. The Bible also says that it makes wise the simple. So it gives wisdom to us as to how to live this life and to walk this walk that God has set before us. Looking for his appearing. Keep looking, folks. Keep looking. He's coming. He's coming real soon. He's coming real soon. And I don't want to be one of those who are caught unaware. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. How about you? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I, I appreciate your attentiveness today. I appreciate your listening to what, what I had to say. But I said it because God just, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say that to you today as a, as a way of remembrance to stir you up. To search out, to, to, to uh, make yourself aware of the times, to be wise in these last days. To make the most of every opportunity, knowing that the days are evil. And we're living in a day, folks, when we need Jesus more than ever before. I don't know how you can make it without Jesus. I don't know how I would. I don't know about others, but I, I can't make it without him.
I need him every hour, every second, every moment of the day. And he's coming again, and I know that. And I'm excited about it. I'm not fearful of his coming. I'm joyful of his coming. The only thing that, that, that I would hope for is that the Lord would bring all of my loved ones, all of my friends, that they would all come to know Jesus before he comes. And folks, that should be our prayer. Not only should we be ready, but we should be sounding the alarm. We should be telling others about Jesus because he's coming soon. How do I know that? Because his word has given us the signs of the times that we're living in. The prophecies are clear. And everything that God has spoken pertaining to his second coming has been fulfilled up to this point. That the, I'm fully expecting that the next thing that will happen for prophetically is that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. And the Lord himself shall ascend with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. We know that it's coming. It's coming real soon. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But I know that it's coming soon and I want to be ready. I want to be ready. How about you? If you're ready this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. Okay, put your hand back down. If you're not sure this morning, I want you to raise your hand. Is there anyone else? You're not sure. Thank you for your honesty. The third question I have for you is, do you want to be sure? Now, this takes a step of boldness. This takes a step of faith. And I could have you just to remain in your seat where you are this morning and just to politely allow you to kind of under the radar make a commitment to the Lord and to make sure. But if you're serious about this this morning and you want to be right with God and you want to be ready, I just ask you right now to just stand to your feet and make your way down to the front this morning. We're going to pray with you. To take that step of boldness, take that step of faith. You take that first step, God's going to meet you. God's going to meet you. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? I'd like some of our prayer warriors to come stand with me this morning. Praise God. God is doing something here this morning. This is so important. This is life-changing. This is life-changing. We're going to do something right now. You've made the biggest step. So this next step is an easy one. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, God knows what those sins are. You don't have to name them every one because he knows, and there's some things that he knows that you don't even know. But here's the deal. If you would just say to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you say that? Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess that. Because your word says that I am. But I thank you, Lord. That you said if I confess my sin, 
that you were faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So I confess and I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come into my heart, to change my life. And I declare today, Lord, that at this very moment, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he came to earth and he died for my sins. He was buried in a grave and he rose on the third day and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he gave me new life when he laid down his life for me. So I received Jesus. I receive his life for mine. And right now I lay down my life for him. I renounce my sins. And I declare that from this day forward that I am a child of God. That Jesus is my Lord and Savior. God is my Father. And I'm a part of the family of God. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.